Health is a state of body and mind. Wellness is a state of being. We want you to have both. This is Channels of Health, the podcast giving you ideas and insights into new and time-tested avenues to health. From mental wellness and innovations in mental health to our daily lives and overall health journeys. Join your hosts, Patty and Damien, both founders of organizations dedicated to healing as they bring candid conversations and new information to you. Let's start the show. Here are your hosts, Patty and Damien. We are here in Dallas, Texas today with Channels of Health, Patty Giola and Damien Skinner along with Hello Joe there. Collins. Welcome, sir. Thank you. Welcome. Great to be here. We are so excited to have you. I thought that I knew the kinds of subjects we were going to talk about today, and then we had about a 30 or 40 minute chance to visit and get to know each other a little bit better. So I want to ask you to tell a little bit about what you were discussing earlier um, the inaugural program that you were with, with the FBI? Absolutely. It's the FBI National Academy, and uh, I had the fortune of going through the FBI National Academy in 2009, and uh, I was in the very first inaugural class for spirituality and wellness in law enforcement, and uh, that started the, uh, the journey that I am on today with, uh, with helping first responders and their family members. Did anybody even know that existed at all, much less that you were at the first? I didn't even know that was a thing. I didn't know the FBI cared. Right. I'm going I'm to just say it that way. So help me and the audience that thinks like I do. <laughs> why? Like, why would they? Mm-hmm. This is incredible. And what are they doing now? Like, how right. Long? Well, and, and why they care is, uh, is, I would say, solely because of uh, the instructor at the time, Sam Feemster. Awesome. Super good guy. He was awesome. a supervisory special agent uh, assigned to the FBI National Academy, and uh, he created the program. And uh, I, I'm a true believer that you are always where you're supposed to be at the exact time you're there. Nice. And uh, so what that means is um, I wasn't even in the class. I'd heard about it. You needed to sign up for the class, and he limited it to 20 mm-hmm. people. And I wasn't in the initial class. And... Uh, I was actually sitting in our session group that was divided into uh, six different groups so that they kind of, there was 240 of us, so they had to kind of narrow it down to a smaller group of people. And uh, I was sitting in that group, and one of the f- my favorite things was interacting with all of the international students. We had 27 students from 26 different countries outside of the United States. And I, and I, I really enjoyed learning more about other people. And, and one of the people that actually was sitting right next to me is a good friend of mine now, and uh, he's from Pakistan. And he was telling me about the fact that he was in that class and he didn't want to be in the class. And one of the days, you could actually adjust your schedule. It was like the second or third day that you were there. And I'm like, all right, you don't want to be in the class. I want to be in the class. Let's go. Yeah. Because they had just told me at the table that the class was full, unless somebody stepped Mm -hmm. out of it. So I went with him and uh, he told the people that he was going to sign up for a different class, which opened a spot. And then I got into the spot. And uh, then there's even more funny parts about this is why um, I believe that this is is true is I'm in the first day of the first class. And Sam, who is the instructor, is going through the, the list of people and and I introduce who I am, and he's like, well, you're not supposed to be in the you're class. Here. Right. And it's like, well, I am supposed to be in the class. <laughs> he goes, well, it's what, what happened. And I explained that the guy from Pakistan was supposed to be in the class. He didn't want to be in the class, so I was at the table with him. 
and we adjusted and I got into the class. Right. And he said, well, I had a waiting list of oh. 20 other people that How cool wanted that? to get into the class. So you're going to have to leave. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I'm like, well, I'm supposed to be in the class. Yeah, clearly. <laughs> so clearly. I stayed in the class. And uh, so it was, uh, it was destined. I was yeah. supposed to be there. Yeah. And what I learned during that class, uh, it really changed my trajectory in my life as a result of that. Wow. Wow. I have so many questions. I know you I'm do. already going, but you better get the ones in you want. See, I'm being patient. Wow. What is it that you learned in the class specifically, if you can remember, that changed your trajectory? Well, we started talking about things that uh, um, at that point in 2009, um, when I retired in uh, 2020, I had 35 years on the job. And uh, up until that point, we had not discussed uh, the stuff that we were seeing on a day-to-day -day basis, some of the trauma, some of the different things, um, the whole idea that uh, what spirituality meant being a first responder. And, uh, you know, we've gone on now to, tr to train in different things. And one of the lessons we talk about is spirituality in our resiliency training program. And when I teach that program and teach that particular lesson, what I, what I tell people, because there is a misunderstanding of what the word spirituality means in our society, I believe. No doubt. And uh, what I say is spirituality has absolutely nothing to do with religion. Thank you. Or... It has absolutely everything absolutely. to do with religion, and it's your choice. Yes. And uh, so, you know, we'll, we'll, back, we'll get to some of this, but we've been teaching resiliency now across the country and internationally uh, for a number of years, and we've had every type of spirituality in that class. Oh, I'm sure. Uh, meaning people that have no faith, people that are very strong in their faith, um, but kind of comically and not, uh, we, we taught a class in Hawaii. And one of our students, when they were talking about spirituality and where they get their spirituality from, because it's all about purpose and, and believing that there's something larger than self. And that's really what spirituality is all about. And he said, well, I draw, I draw my spirituality from surfing. I knew it was going to be that. And, uh, yeah. and everybody's like, kind of like, hmm, what? And uh, so then he explained it. And everybody was in awe because he is the type of surfer that when he surfs, he is able to get into the zone, into flow, mm -hmm. and become part of the ocean. Yeah. And we're all like, wow. That is He's in the, the rhythm of the ocean. And, uh, and, and to think that a person can understand and be able to do that, and then it's just awesome to be able to do that. And, uh, and so, you know... It, People can get their spirituality from anywhere. Absolutely. As long as it's something larger than self is right. what we really come down to. Oh, that, that is so well explained. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think I could even add a minute to that. When you say resiliency, so mm -hmm. I'm thinking in the space of first responders, right? I was telling you before we started recording, I've already, I've said multiple times on the show, I used to think PTSD was something that, you know, first responders, you know, military, they were, that was just for them. It was a a hazard of the job. Mm -hmm. And I came to find out a lot of people think that. Like a mm -hmm. lot of people have that misunderstanding. Less today than used to. But when you say resiliency teaching, I assume that that means how to man up and take on more horrible crap and keep being productive. Now I'm intentionally being, you know. Right. But that is kind of what resiliency meant not too long ago. Mm -hmm. Like the guy who can just keep running until he dies of a heart attack was just like that hardworking, resilient. 
obviously you mean something different. So can you explain for our audience what you are actually referring to when you say resiliency? Yeah, and I think that that was the common mindset for many, many years. And unfortunately, it still is the mindset for many people is the the whole idea just to suck it up and just keep moving on and keep taking on as much stuff as you can, as many burdens, expose yourself to as many things, because then maybe you might become inoculated to it. Well, the the science now behind that, and it's really... Uh, a great book that explains this is The Body Keeps the Score. And, and the fact that that, that trauma and the st- exposures and the things that you're going to see, deal with, and be like encounter throughout your life stay in your body. Yes. Unless you, on purpose, do something that's going to get it out of your system. We, we should explain why Damien and I just laughed because that wasn't yeah. a very polite no, it, response. Yeah, we weren't making fun of you. That book comes up and is the core behind what I'm doing with the camps for Mm -hmm. kids. That book and a book called Letting Go. Mm -hmm. um, Those two together just blew my mind. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to how to work with children who've been severely traumatized, it put me in a whole new mental place to, Mm -hmm. to understand it, you know. But for people that don't understand what resiliency is today, what is this new resiliency? Yeah, so, you know, people have a lot of different definitions of what it is. Bouncing back, mm-hmm. you know, from situations. We, we refer to it many different ways. The difference between a, uh, a tennis ball and an egg when you drop it on the ground. <laughs> um, I often uh, relate to uh, a pressure cooker. You know, there's a reason that there's a release valve on the pressure cooker. Mm-hmm. Right. Because if there isn't one and it's under pressure, it's a bomb. And unfortunately, we've seen that across the country and, and more, most recently in Boston on, on the marathons mm-hmm. is that when the pressure release valve isn't functioning correctly, either intentionally or unintentionally, it's a bomb. And what our first responders and many people within the community um, are dealing with is the lack of knowledge and the lack of resources and no training how to install and properly manage and regulate your release valve. And that's what it is. Resiliency is giving you the release valve and teaching you how to use it and when to use it and how to use it. It's fantastic. And giving you permission to use it. Absolutely. So many people seem to think that's a weakness. Right. Because there are times where it's not appropriate to use it. Sure. Right. <laughs> and, and, you know, we ask our first responders in our, in our society to do things that most people are adverse to that they don't want to have anything to do with. A normal human being will avoid a critical crisis situation. Mm-hmm. They don't want them in their lives. Right. So what they do is everything that they can do to plan and protect themselves and their families from having one. Right. Well, we train our first responders, expect our first responders to run toward them and to take care of them for us. Right. That is not the normal human response. So what we have to do is we have to train our people to do that, and then when they get there, to, to be there mm-hmm. and be able to handle it appropriately and respond appropriately. But what we haven't done as a society and as organizations and as a culture, what then? Yeah. And it isn't now just suck that up and move on to the next one, because we now know we have the knowledge and the science behind the fact that that can potentially damage the human brain and the human psyche and the spirit. Now with knowledge comes responsibility. Now what? 
what are we going to do now that we know that that is the case? Right. And that's where we have to do resiliency training. We've got to get them the resources ahead of time. We call that upstream, mm -hmm. you know, getting upstream. Mm -hmm. And I heard a lot of people say, well, yeah, it's all upstream prevention things. And so what does upstream mean? And I heard a great example from someone that was actually uh, teaching a class on that, Stephanie Kahn. She's a former police officer in from the Dallas area, actually, and she's a psych doctor now, and oh. she lives up in the Portland area. Very cool. And she was presenting, and she gave a great analogy of what upstream meant. And she used a story about it, is that there was a group of people at the base of a waterfall, and there were all these people falling over the waterfall, crashing into the rocks. And all these medical people were at the bottom of the, the waterfall, helping all these people triage and getting them out to care. And one of the helpers down there at one point looked at everybody and said, I gotta leave but I'll come back. And I'm like, no, you gotta stay here. There's not enough of us already. And there's all these people falling into the rocks and we have to help them. And like, you have to stay. And the person said, no, no, I have to leave, but I'll be back. And it's like, where are you going? And it's like, I'm going upstream to fi find out why these people are falling in the river. Right. And I'm gonna try to stop them from falling in the river. Or if they're in the river, I'm gonna teach them how to swim. Oh, that's a great story. I love that. That's great. Moving the fight to where it makes a better, Absolutely. bigger impact. Absolutely. So that when the crisis happens and when our first responders are going to encounter the trauma and the situations in their life, that they have the tools and the resources to understand what's going on with their physiology. Right. And that's really what this is about, too, is it becoming aware of what's going on inside. Yeah. So talk about teaching resiliency because mm -hmm. I know that you do that mm -hmm. you are a master instructor I was so excited to get you here I forgot to give all of your great credentials <laughs> yeah no so, doubt. so share a little bit about right. your, your credentials well um, in 2009 when I went to the FBI Academy I was asked to come back and help with the project that Sam Feimster was running at that time and he called it bestow and it was beyond survival toward officer wellness mm -hmm. he had a great phrase that he would say and it's uh, you know we expect our first responders to uh, to come on the job healthy, both medically and mentally and physically. But then what we do is we expect them to walk through the mud and come out clean on the other side. Mm. But we don't give them the resources or the wherewithal to how to wash it off. Yeah, how to clean and up. that includes starting the career and through the career and through their retirement, helping them be healthy. And uh, so that was my first uh, uh, experience with resiliency. Um, but then I became very active in the uh, the FBI National Academy Associates, which is the association of those that have gone through the academy. And uh, in 2012, I had been doing some work in this area, obviously leading up to that. And uh, we had the conference, the national conference, it's actually an international conference here in Dallas. And one of the people that was moving up on the board of directors within our organization, Barry Thomas, good friend of mine from Iowa. He made a very impassionate speech from the dais at the very closing of that banquet in the, the whole week. And he said, you know, we are the largest law enforcement leadership organization in the world. And it's our responsibility because we know things are going on out there as far as the mental health and the behavioral health of our first responders. We have to do more as the leaders. And uh, I'm not one to just allow people to say things without holding them accountable for their words. So before he was able to step down the last step off of the stage for that particular conference, because it was done, um, I was standing there and uh, we had a conversation. And I said, are we talking about this? Are we truly gonna do something? He says, well, what do you mean? 
I said, well, I have an idea. We need to start a committee within the FBI National Academy for officer safety and wellness. He said, okay, well, here is the dynamics around that. This is what the structure requires is that someone on the board of directors has to chair that committee. Mm -hmm. And he said, what we will do is we will co-chair the committee together and I am gonna to be too busy because of my responsibility now on the board, so we'll co-chair it, but you run it. And I said, okay, wow. because I'm not gonna say something without holding myself accountable. Mm -hmm. So that's when the FBI National Academy Officer Safety and Wellness Committee and Initiatives began as a result of his speech. And uh, so at that point, we, were, we, we kind of came together, we kind of put together three different legs that we were looking at as how we could do help. And, uh, and what it boiled down to is awareness because we really felt that we needed to be better at creating awareness around this particular situation. And so we started writing a lot of articles. We had some great people on the committee. It was actually the first committee at the FBI National Academy Association that had people on the committee that hadn't gone through the FBI National Academy. So we had civilians that were like oh. top notch in these particular areas. So we were writing articles, we were publishing them in our newsletter and our magazine that was coming out. Um, but then we also knew the fact that when we raise the awareness that there's issues around something, um, there has to be a component to catch people when they identify either themselves or others that are struggling with these things. Mm -hmm. So we started having conversations, and again, this was Barry Thomas that introduced me to the person that was working for Acadia Healthcare in that area, and uh, we actually formed a, a relationship between Acadia and the FBI National Academy at that time, and it was the, the first uh, and only partnership of any level um, that the FBI National Academy Association has with the Behavioral Health Company, wow. and it's the only one that Acadia has in that capacity. Um, so that began in 2015. So that was the second leg. And then the third leg was training. Um, you know, I had been to so many um, trainings, I guess I'll use that in quotations, uh, where people were only telling you that there was a problem. Mm -hmm. And that's not, in my opinion, that's not training. That's just, right. you know, shock and awe. It's like, oh my God, there's all these problems and stuff. And, and then you're done with the training and you're like, now what do we what? do? Yeah, yeah. yeah. What, you're telling me there's a problem. I've, I've identified with some of the right. stuff that you're telling me about. Now what? Yeah. <laughs> so that's when we came up with the idea that we needed to find training. And uh, so because I was involved with Sam Feimster's program in 2009, he had asked me to look into the Army's uh, Army Resiliency, right. the Soldier Resiliency Training Program that had been started at West Point through the University of Pennsylvania. It was Martin Selgeman's in, uh, work from the University of Pennsylvania's Positive Psychology Unit. And uh, because I was in the right place at the right time, one of our classmates was a major <laughs> in the Army who was actually working at West Point, and her husband was a colonel. And uh, so I reached out to her, and she put me in touch with the psychological department actually at West Point that was doing this. Lord. And again, you're always where you're supposed to be at the time that you're there. And I actually called the guy, and he was a reserve deputy as well Holy as smoke. the site guy that was running all this stuff. <laughs> and we just started connecting immediately, and we had great conversations about it. Um, and then we started looking at their program, and we had some other people that had come to us that was working here in the Department of Public Safety that were doing a lot of these things as well. And, uh, and then it just all kind of fell into place where 
uh, one of the people on our committees, he went through the FBI National Academy. He's a retired colonel from the Air Force. Uh, Randy Rickert is his name. And he was the very first unit within the Air Force's special services, special forces that actually embedded the resiliency training in the Air Force wow. into the Air Force. And uh, so he now is one of our instructors. He was on our committee. And uh, then we got invited to go to San Antonio to look at their program. We sent a couple people down there. They came back. It's like, it's absolutely what we're looking for. And then they invited a dozen of us to come down in uh, 2016 uh, to go through the Airman Resiliency Training Program. So we went through, we all became instructors, and they gave us the entire program and wow. said, here it is. Do with it what you need to do because they understood that there's a significant number of first responders who are veterans as well, sure. or active military in the reserves and different things like that. Right. But they also understood that when military is deployed, the people that take care of their families are the first responders when they're away. Right. So they wanted to make sure that they were taking care of the community as well because they knew that we were taking care of their families. Mm. So they gave us the entire program, and over a course of a year, uh, you know, we were, uh, we were converting that to be a, a first responder-specific resiliency training program then based on what all had happened through the history of University of Pennsylvania, the wow. Army, and all of the branches of the military. And uh, so that's, uh, we started teaching it then. And we taught it from everywhere from New York to Hawaii and Florida to Alaska and Canada and, and many parts in between. And what has happened now as a result of that is it's, it's taken on kind of a life of its own, which is great. Mm. Um, because now we did a class, that, well, the very first class was actually going to be in Las Vegas in October of 17. So is that when the October 1st. Yeah. Yeah. So wow. that's when they had the shooting. So yeah. they had to postpone oh, it. Oh, yeah. So we actually yeah. did a class in upstate New York. And then the following year, we did it in, in Las Vegas. Um, but we did somewhere during that time period, I don't know the exact date, we did a class in New Jersey. And uh, the, my partner now with Acadia Healthcare, Bill Mazur, um, he helped coordinate that. We were able to get it there. And uh, the attorney general found out about the training then after the fact, and it just, it just amazing. It took off like a forest fire. Mm. And the attorney general now has, has mandated that every police officer in the state of New Jersey go through the resiliency training program. That's 36,000 police officers in New Jersey. Wow. And now it is, is spread to uh, Georgia. It's happening in Georgia. Uh, the readiness group here with uh, with Brenda and Erica, I know they've been on your show a number of times. Uh, they're doing the training. And, uh, and there's a lot of organizations that are doing that based on what we what we started, and including um, uh, Resilient Minds on the Front Lines. And uh, that now is an organization that started in New Jersey because what happened is that they did the big kickoff to train all of their major master instructors throughout the entire state so that they could go out to the agencies and do all the training that actually completed their kickoff training on March 13th of 2020. That was a day of the world lockdown. Yeah. Gee so here they are getting ready to roll this out in person mm -hmm. right, right. <laughs> and do this training and uh, it didn't happen. So one of the ma master instructors, uh, Michael Pellegrino, and his wife, Dee, Diane, uh, they decided, you know, we still got to do something. So they started Resilient Minds on the Front Lines. Oh, cool. And we started recording 15-minute video segments on resiliency. 
And within six weeks, we had our first one out, and now we've done like 35 of them, and they've been viewed in every state in 60 countries um, about resiliency and different types of resiliency. And they're little segments, they're great. Um, but now what that has done is now that we are no longer under quarantine mm-hmm. and we're able to do some face-to-face stuff, is that they decided that, you know what, why is this just for first responders? Because when it's on the front lines during COVID, people found themselves in a frontline critical role that they may right. not have ever viewed themselves as that critical person. And right. that means right. truck drivers, mm-hmm. people that were stocking the shelves, you know, people that were helping keep our society and our people going. So that's where it was geared toward. And uh, I know we had a discussion earlier. It's like, well, what does this resiliency mean outside of the first responder community? And uh, well, what resiliency really is all about and what we try to teach is self-regulation and self-management during critical troubling times. Mm. Is that how do you understand what your psyche is, what's going on in your body? How then can you regulate when it changes? And what can you do to help yourself get out of what we call the downward spiral? Because when you start spiraling down, you know, your perception gets narrower mm-hmm. and your opportunities become fewer. Mm-hmm. And it, we call them triggering events. You know, if something happens and all of a sudden you become emotionally reactive to it, um, your options then become fewer yeah. because you're not looking at it from a, a, a better perspective. And uh, so you start spiraling down. And we call it catching yourself, catching yourself, <laughs> is that when you can recognize the fact, wait a minute, this isn't who I want to be. Right. You know, something's wrong. And you stop yourself from spiraling down. Right, we, right. we actually refer to that as like the 100-level course of resiliency. When you can stop mm-hmm. yourself from spiraling, you just hit 100. Yeah, That's right. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Now, the 200-level would be to put a resiliency tool in place, which gets you off of a downward spiral and now gets you over to what we call the upward spiral. And the upward spiral is the fact that, you know what, I got something that will work. Mm-hmm. So I stop the downward spiral. Now I get over to the possibility of upward spiraling myself and meaning that, you know what, I can step back away from this situation. I got a tool that works. So let's plug that in. Mm-hmm. And it's like, hey, that just worked. And all of a sudden you start spiraling up and you actually distance yourself emotionally, potentially from the situation and said, hey, I feel better. Right. It's like, well, if that worked, what about this? And then you actually get a better perspective and then you start spiraling up. So the 100 is stopping yourself, 200 is jumping over to the upward spiral, 300 is plugging in a tool or resource to start yourself spiraling up and feeling better about the situation. Now, if you want to go to the graduate level, bring somebody with you. Yeah. Ah, When you see somebody else spiraling out of control because of a situation and you're able to stop yourself and get yourself on an upward spiral, grab that person, bring, you, bring them bring, with you. Bring them with you. Yeah. And start plugging the tools in for them. That's awesome. That's awesome. I know another time when we're not recording, I, I would love to, even if it's just a phone call, talk to you about some of the parallels between what you're talking about and what we do with children. Because mm-hmm. getting them to understand that they don't have to always be the effect. They can mm-hmm. be the cause. Right. Is some of the language that's similar that we, we use when they are struggling with regulating themselves when they are having that anxiety it's those tools that helps them realize that they don't have to be the effect they can be the cause um we've noticed that that slows the anxiety down 
to where they can make a choice of their behavior where before they were just in like this primal response. Mode, Absolutely. You know, um, what's interesting to me is that for, for, for first responders, it's a lot of the same spirit and a lot of the same heart. What I, what I find so interesting is when you talk about upstream, you guys can just keep moving that further and further upstream mm -hmm. to where there will be a time where this information is just being taught in our schools and yeah. children are being raised like, when I was in California filming with the Circus Center, all the kids there in the public school have mindfulness classes. Mm -hmm. And I thought, I wonder what that really means. So I sat in, Jeremy's girls, okay. I sat in on half of a mindfulness class. Mm -hmm. It was legitimate, very real, how to understand what's happening in your mind. They were teaching the kids the chemicals that were firing and dumping in their mm -hmm. brain. And I look at this kid, and this kid's 13. So that, it's interesting to take what you're doing and keep moving it back further right. and further and further. So where do you think this teaching, this approach, where is it going? Like, what's the big, it's, it's already like a wildfire. Right. And, and I think what the plan is with the uh, uh, Resilient Minds group is uh, we've got a number of different psych doctors, including a child psychologist, mm -hmm. and uh, creating a program for kids, a resiliency program for children. Dealing with mindfulness, you know, that's one of our lessons that we teach yeah. is uh, acceptance, mindfulness, and meaning making. Right. And, uh, and really understanding the fact that, you know what, for me to understand what's going on in my life and understanding my physiology at the moment, I've got to be there. Right. i got to be in the moment. Right. And, you know, that's the whole mindfulness and meaning making is that, you know what, you can't be thinking about things that are 10, 15, 20 a year down the line You've got to be where your feet are. Right. And uh, that's a great quote from one of our instructors, Mary Van Hote, that uh, it's like, be where your feet are. I love that. Because yeah. if you're where your feet are, you can't be somewhere else. Exactly. And, uh, and that's all the, the whole mindfulness thing. Mm -hmm. And the chemicals, you know, when you talked about that, it, you know, we, within the first responder community, you know, and uh, we talk about uh, um, the parasympathetic mm -hmm. and the sympathetic nervous systems and the fight or flight and, and the hypervigilance. Mm -hmm. You know, the hypervigilance is directly related to the fight or flight is right. that's the sympathetic nervous system in our body and that's where all of those chemicals are getting dumped in and that's where the anxiety comes from and that's actually the reactive part of our brain you know you were talking about the fact that that you know I'll use the the generic terms that I understand is that you got you got your puppy brain and you got your mammal brain right. you know the, yeah. the very base of your brain which everything everybody that's a human or a, a mammal has right. that particular brain that's the reactive brain right. that's not the prefrontal cortex or our human brain and uh, when we are reactive and anxiety and all of those chemicals are getting dumped into our body in the fight or flight you know that's that's where that is being activated and that's the sympathetic nervous system yeah. And uh, we relate to that also as the gas pedal. Mm -hmm. You know, when, when that's activated, you slammed your gas pedal down to the yeah, floor. I call it redlining. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, yeah. absolutely. You're in the red. Yeah. You know, yeah. and uh, what we need to do is we need to figure out and understand that, that something has activated us to that point. And, but, and again, that's catching yourself, catching yourself, right. Right? right? And then activate the parasympathetic nervous system, get into the prefrontal cortex or the human brain, and, and we call that the brake pedal. That's the parasympathetic right. nervous system. And we have to understand how to manage our pedals. Mm. Uh, because we know what will happen if you keep the gas pedal slammed to the, to the floor. 
is that that's not going to that's not going to be a good experience. Right. You know, you're going to crash or you're going to blow up the engine or something like that. Right. right. And then if you're in that, and another activating event comes, you know, that's almost like hitting the uh, turbo. hitting the yeah. turbo and, <laughs> right, right. and then having the that on. It's like, oh my God. Yeah. Um, but there's also consequences to slamming on the brake. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> I learned a great lesson from uh, one of the firefighters. I went through a program actually called Save a Warrior, and it's an interactive experiential retreat for first responders and in, in military cool. that, uh, that really get at the core of that. And part of that entire experience was where I was introduced to meditation and how to do it the right way. And I was explaining during one of our sessions that uh, I had been teaching for many years is that first responders, when we go to these situations and they see the trauma and the crisis and the, and the critical incidents and stuff, we have to shut off our emotions because you have to go into these things and, and be able to deal with them and not break down in, in the right. situation. So I was, I was constantly training that we have to shut off our emotions. And a firefighter, good friend of mine now, uh, Maddie, he, uh, he's like, do we really have to shut them off? And it's like, of course we do. And I explained again to him, it's like, do we really have to shut them off? It's like, yes. So I was going to get frustrated with them. And, and, uh, Are you not listening? So, <laughs> so, we, so shortly after that, we did our first experience with meditation. It was a 20-minute 20, 20 meditation. They, they call warrior meditation, mm -hmm. just kind of make it a little sexier. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and during the entire 20 minutes, he was my meditation guide. All I saw was his face asking me the question over and over again. <laughs> So I was getting frustrated more during my meditation. He's like, do we really have to shut him off? And it's like right at the end of the meditation, I had the epiphany. It's like, no. What we do is we have to manage them. Because if you, if you go to your house and you go wherever your control box is in your house for all your electricity and you slam the main off, it takes a lot of work to turn all of the stuff back on right. again. That's a great analogy. Yeah. So what you need to do is you need to be able to manage your emotions. And you need to be able to dial them down to where they need to be. And they don't need to be all the way off, potentially. Mm -hmm. Because we need to be able to feel and understand, to be empathetic with people that we're responding to, be able to connect in certain situations. You know, sometimes we may have to dial them all the way down. Yeah. But it's easier to dial them up. It's like the dimmer switch yeah. in your house. Is right. that, you know what? I want to get into a certain mood, so I'm just going to dial it down a little bit because I don't want it as bright. Yeah. And uh, so that's what I teach now. It's like, you know, it's a regulation. It's how do we manage, how do we regulate ourselves to be the best self that we can be. Right. You know, and you talk about books and stuff. I'm, I think that that's actually one of my new addictions now is devouring as much knowledge through books like and audible and all these different Trust things as possible. We understand that. And John Maxwell. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. So amazing. Yeah. And uh, I finished one of his books. And the entire book, the quote that I took away from him is that the best gift that you can give to anyone that you care about, that you work with, anyone in your life, the best gift that you can ever give to anyone is a better you. Uh. And that's what this is about. That's what resiliency is about, is, is coming to terms with the fact that I can be better. We have re really gotten the audience all excited about learning and, and <laughs> going places to teach resiliency. How, mm -hmm. how are the listeners going to know the difference between a good resiliency program and a program that is just question. out there to, to take for, your you know? money. Yeah, that, that is a good question. It's not easy because there are a lot of people out there. And, and there's, I'm, I know there's a lot of good training that's going on out there. Um, but what Martin Selgeman says in his book, Flourish, 
And if you want to know about resiliency, it's a, it's a great book. And he's got a number of different books as well as Learned Optimism and, and things like that. But in his book, he talks there's three phases to this whole process. Is number one, you need to be able to learn what resiliency is. You know, you have to learn the lessons to be able to do anything with them. And then the third phase of the process is teaching. But you can't skip number two. And what he says about number two is that you have to embed them in your life and you have to learn and live resiliency. Because if you're gonna skip number two, please don't go on to number three. Because the students will see right through you. I know I would if I was a student. Sure. And uh, so you've got to, it's a process. You know, you can't just simply take a three-day class and then all of a sudden, poof, you're yeah. an instructor in resiliency. Right. Um, go, you have to take it away. We kind of say it's, you know, you're drinking from a fire hose in those three days. Mm -hmm. um, and it's an emotional roller coaster. Um, because what we try to do in resiliency training is make you stronger for before you get to the event. It's called left a boom, or left a bang. And it's before the incident happens, what we want to do is we want to give you the resources and the tools before the 9-11 happens, right. Right. you know, because a lot of us, there's a lot of people and listeners probably that weren't even alive during 9-11. Uh, but there's going to be those 9-11 moments in your life. We call them big T's, the big trauma events. But we need to give you the resources before those hit. And the only way that we can give those resources is by making you uncomfortable and pushing up against your belief systems. Because if they are good, we want them locked in. If they're not good, we want you to change them mm -hmm. before the event happens. Because during a crisis, during a critical situation, is not the time to change your belief system. Because it's not the time to do it. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you can change it after, you can change it before, but you know what? When, when, when it's really hitting, you've got to get through it. Yeah. And uh, unfortunately, people that don't have any skill set, they get to that big T or the bang or the boom in their life, whatever it might be, and if they don't have the right tools, they're going to start sliding down that spiral again that we were talking about right. before. And they will continue sliding. They will continue making that particular event worse because you're not adding sunshine into it. Mm -hmm. You know, you're doing what's called ruminating, you know, mm -hmm. spinning it around in your head and you're adding more bad things to it. Meaning making it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, so then you start sliding down this slope that uh, you need to get out of. And uh, if you can't get out yourself, then you need somebody else to pull you out, whether it's a trusted peer or somebody you know, that understands or sees what's going through, or you need to have uh, an intervention by uh, a trained clinician or therapist, or you might have to go to treatment. Right. And if that doesn't happen, unfortunately, you know, there's, there's a bottom. Right. And unfortunately, we're seeing way too many people get addicted or, yeah. or take their own lives as a result. Is there a way, because I know your specialty is first responders, for people that are listening that aren't first responders, mm -hmm. what would you say is the seminal, like, here's the book? Mm -hmm. I shouldn't ask. That's a totally unfair question. Right. What are some materials that they should listen to mm -hmm. to develop? Like when I leave here, I know for myself, uh, I would love to develop more resiliency. I get really affected when I'm working with these kids. Mm -hmm. So where would you say, not first responder resiliency, but where should we start? What mm -hmm. would we, because I'm an audible guy, YouTube right. guy, what would you suggest? Well, first of all, that, that group that I was talking about, Resilient okay. Minds, yeah. they, they have a great website with okay. a lot of information on it, and it's resilientminds.us. Okay. But if we're talking about books, there are some amazing books out there. One really fun 
series of books. It's actually, uh, it's called The Why Cafe. And uh, that's a book that I actually made mandatory reading for our master instructors. And uh, it's, it's a very short book. It's on Audible. It's like two hours to listen to. And I've held people captive in my vehicle for that amount of time <laughs> on drives and listen to it. Sure. Um, and I, I really wish that I could remember who made this statement to me. And, and, and they said, you know what? Don't tell me about the books you've read. Tell me about the books you've reread. Mm. And uh, I've read and listened to that book probably 15 plus times, and I've okay. shared it over 500 times with okay. people. And the Why Cafe forces you to ask yourself the, the big question. Why am I here? Why am I here? And if you ask yourself that question, you truly ask yourself that question during the book, what they too talk about is that you'll find your PFE or your purpose for existing. And once you truly identify what your purpose is, everything that you do is geared toward your purpose. Absolutely. And I found my purpose, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and your purpose and your why, you know, Simon Simic talks about a lot of that with right. some of his things, your why, it can change. Mm -hmm. You know, once, once you achieve something and you think that that's what your why was, it's like, well, now what? You know, yeah. I gotta find my new why or my yeah. new purpose and stuff. So my purpose is helping first responders and their organizations and family members get the help that they need, whatever level that is. But I think that what's changed now for me is what my purpose is, is to be the best me I can every single day. Because if I do that, the other stuff will also get helped. And uh, so that's what I kind of focus on. So that, that book is really fun. Um, you know, to, to read Flourish. We talked about that one as well. That's mm -hmm. by Martin uh, Seligman. Um, there's also this fantastic book that I've shared a number of times, and uh, it's called Gratitude Works. Okay. And one of our lessons is actually gratitude and, and how, you know, they say that about 80-plus percentage of the uh, society is uh, defaults to the negative all the time. Um, and I think it's higher in the first responder community because we, we expect them to go out and deal with negativity and bad things. And, and so right. they're, they're kind of geared towards seeing that. And what we do is we, we let them know that, you know, you can actually rewire your brain. You know, it's neuroplasticity. We used to think that, that the brain stopped developing, you know, at 24, 25 years old, and that was it. And then you're on your downward cycle from there on. <laughs> but you can actually create new, new pathways in your brain but you have to do it on purpose. Right. And one of those things is gratitude. Absolutely. And uh, you know, we work on that really hard, that's really emphasized strong. Um, and then, because I was teaching it and I didn't want to be a hypocrite, I really started doing a deep dive and I found the book and it's actually written uh, by Emmons and uh, he uh, is quoted in a lot of the different things that we did. And he talks about doing a 21 day gratitude challenge to actually make it a practice. Yeah. And uh, so I did that. I did that uh, two years ago in May. I did a 21-day gratitude challenge, and things happened in my life during that 21 yes. days I could not explain. They just happened. And, uh, but what I was doing is that I was journaling it because I needed to do that for myself because we ask people to journal, you know, if that's what you need. And I was pushing it out on my Facebook page. And, and uh, people were liking it, and they were mm -hmm. commenting on different things. But I reconnected with people in my life that I hadn't seen since I had graduated from high school, 30 years. Wow. And uh, one of them, um, you know, we were going to see our son who was living up in Seattle at the time. And uh, one of my classmates, uh, Kari, we were in choir together. We were in swing choir together. 
and uh, we did all kinds of things. I went to camp with her a few times, but right after she graduated, shortly after she got married and she moved to a different part of the country, and I hadn't seen her for 30 years. And I posted that we were going to be in Seattle seeing our son. And she's like, oh, that's so neat that you're doing that. And, and I'm actually flying out west to see my mom, who's going to be celebrating her 100th birthday, and we're flying through Seattle. i got to go to Portland. It's like, oh, that's so neat. What day are you going to be in Seattle? And it just happened to be, of course, the day that we were leaving. Wow. So it's like, let's connect. And I, we connected. We saw each other in the airport in Seattle as a result of my gratitudes. How cool. And I hadn't seen her for 30 years. Wow. And then another one of my classmates I hadn't seen, um, who I was working at the time as the, the chief, and we would go every May, we would go to a Brewers game as a, as a group. So we had about 60 of us that were rented a bus. We went down to this uh, game, and uh, I posted a picture of us on my Facebook page as one of my gratitudes, and my classmates like, I'm at the game. Let's <laughs> oh, connect gosh. and have a beer. I hadn't seen them in 30 That's years. crazy. And then the really, really cool thing that happened is another classmate. <clears throat> He saw this, and he was asking me on the side, he's like, what is this thing you're doing? And I explained it to him. And he said, well, I'm not a public person, so can we do this and share it privately? Absolutely. Oh, good idea. So we started doing this, and I started learning things. I knew something had happened, mm. you know, during the junior-senior year. Mm. He changed, but I was 17, 18 years old, and the world revolved around me right, and right, anybody yeah. else it's like whatever um, but what I had learned about that was that uh, his brother had uh, had killed himself and his dad disappeared during that time mm. and then I learned that he had immigrated from Panama I never knew these things and I learned about it during gratitude and uh, what's neat about that then is that I wanted to see whether or not after that 21 days that I saw the stuff that I was seeing as a result. Because at the end of 21 days then what I did is I went back and I reviewed everything and I re-journaled everything. So I relived my 21 days of gratitude again. Okay. So that really locked it in. Yeah. But now what I was trying to say is that did that make it a practice so that I could see it more? And I recognized that I wasn't seeing it as much as I was when I was journaling it and sharing mm -hmm. it and pay attention to it. And it came to light actually on July 22nd when a good friend of mine was teaching at a law enforcement uh, department. He was teaching a different class and he called me and he's like, you know, there's an officer here and he's struggling. He's been involved in a couple of officer-involved shootings that didn't go well. He said, well, you talk to him. I said, absolutely, I'll talk to him. So we talked and then, uh, you know, I started doing some resiliency coaching with him and stuff and we started this gratitude challenge. And I said, you know, there's a 21-day gratitude challenge. We're going to do this. We're going we're gonna to see how it works for you. And uh, so on the 86th day of the gratitude challenge, um, <laughs> he actually went to the Save the Warrior program. And the Save a Warrior program is an experiential treatment program for first responders and military people that are struggling with either addiction or, or post-traumatic stress. And uh, he, he went to the program. When he was there for the program, I kept sending him gratitudes because we're sharing them through, through text messages right. and stuff. And uh, so and what, you're always where you're supposed to be. So during that particular week was when the attorney general was making the announcement in New Jersey that they were going to be doing this. So I was actually in Trenton in an oh, auditorium cool. watching it full of 3,500 people talking about resiliency and that they're going to do that. 
So I don't know if you've ever experienced more than your dream come true, but I'm sitting here watching this. And then on the way back, I actually was able to stop at the Sable Warrior place on the way back home. And I got in there at like three o'clock in the morning, um, got to the place that, that Jake, who runs the, the, the whole program, uh, we were texting. It's like, we'll leave the door open. This oh, is a room. Yeah. So I get there and I sleep for like three hours and I wake up and I'm like feeling good after three hours of sleep. <laughs> I'm like, hmm, I'll get up and I'll help with breakfast. Well, the officer and I, Jesse, we never met before. We just do uh, right. texts and stuff. And he didn't know I was going to be there. And so I'm helping with breakfast and and the, the guy that the chef, Keith, there, he's like, hey, go check on the coffee, take care of that. That's in a different part of the, the building. And I'm walking, and, uh, and I saw Jesse, like, coming toward the building. And I'm like, I'm walking back to the kitchen. I'm like, crap, I never figured out how I was going to introduce myself. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, so we go, he comes in, and then I'm like, well, I'll just do this. I was wearing, you know, I went through the program, so I was wearing my T-shirt. And, uh, you know, I just came up, and it's like, hey, man, I give him a big hug. I'm glad you're here. And as we're hugging, I said, I'm Joe Collins. Oh, that's great. Whew, he nearly broke my ribs. Wow. So that gratitude challenge with him started Jan or July 22nd of 2019, and we shared gratitudes yesterday. Wow. Wow. So it's two years. Wow. It's amazing. Okay, so our listeners cannot see us, but we're all like, our eyes are all kind of welling <laughs> yeah. up, all three of us. So I just outed you two gentlemen. Yeah. Sorry. That's no, fine. It's fine. Wow. Gratitude, uh, we talk about it. There's something we, we've done. We call them gratitude bombs, and I've changed that to B-A-L-M now because <laughs> people are like bombs. <laughs> but when the anxiety, when whatever is happening, those big T moments, or even some of the small T moments for some people, I have a readily available list of visual gratitudes. I've walked Patty through this multiple times. Yep. My son laughing, mm. different things that I can... Now, I had to do it with intention. It right. wasn't, it's not like when I'm in the crap, I'm like, oh, my son, because mm. I can't think of anything. Right. So I've had to develop this practice where I just have them on a shelf. Right. And the minute I feel it, I'll start grabbing some of those things, and I'll replay them in every one of my senses as much as I can. Mm -hmm. If I can smell where I was and the more of the senses I start bringing in, my state just changes. Absolutely. Radically changes. Mm -hmm. However, being able to do that with multiple people and be able to, you know, share that, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. I would love to do that. Well, and you know, our entire history as human beings um, has been passed down through sharing stories yeah. and connecting. You know, that before we had paper or iPhones and things, they, they actually sat around the fire at night and they shared stories exactly. and they connected. And uh, so we are so much more similar than we are not. Exactly. And, and that's what we try to explain as well during the training is that we hit the gratitude hard. Uh, what's, what's fun about it is that we actually give people sticky post-it notes in different colors yes. and everybody has to share. The, you know, they write down three gratitudes, blessings, things that they consider good things that have happened to them in the previous 24 hours. And we get them to write them down, and then we have them discuss in small groups, and then we share in a big group, and everybody starts connecting awesome. with the things. And then we post them up on the wall, and we do this each day during the three days. So the window or whatever is full, oh, and you sure. can always throw up a gratitude at any time. And then at the end, we're like, take a look at that. We would have missed that yeah. unless we were paying attention to right. it. Yeah. And that changes, changes. 
And we had one, one gal who was really cool. She, uh, she came into the class and, you know, she was a police officer investigator and she was, she was all business at the beginning, you know, that she's sitting there, her arms crossed, and it's like, we, we really enjoy when uh, people are voluntold to show up to training. Voluntold. <laughs> okay, <laughs> and, that's uh, a good word. Yeah, and uh, by, the, by the end of the third day, she looked different. Mm -hmm. She was a different person. And uh, she had a couple of young teenagers at home and uh, she's like, oh my God, this is amazing. How am I gonna get my kids to do this? This really helped change them. And uh, so she gets there and, and at dinner, she's like, okay, we're gonna do this gratitude thing. And she explained, it's like, that's stupid. <laughs> and she's like, oh my gosh, I gotta, I gotta quickly shift. I gotta problem solve on this one. And she's like, hey, we're gonna, we're gonna play a game. We're gonna play a gratitude game. And the person that loses is the first one that runs out of gratitudes. And they were snapping them oh, off left right. and right. And, and all of a sudden it became a game and exciting for them. And uh, it really caught. Yeah. Um, but it can change. It can change people. It's changed my life. Sure. Gratitude's really Dude, has. You just glow. I mean, yeah. you're already a high energy guy, but you, <laughs> you glow when you're talking about the gratitude part, right. for sure. You know? Something for Kelly, our organization has a tagline at the bottom. Gratitude is the new currency. Mm. And, yeah. and it really is, it's incredibly powerful if you think about it in terms of it, yeah. it just continues to give back to you and give you more reasons to share gratitudes. Mm -hmm. it, it's, it builds on itself. So. Well, we've been doing a number of the trainings with, uh, with Brenda and Erica over at Grand Prairie at their, at their new building. Right. And, uh, and Erica shared a picture the other day with us in how I said we had used the, uh, the sticky notes and mm -hmm. stuff. So there's two windows now actually in the investigative bureau and there's there's cable running across with sticky notes that are different colors, and it says gratitude at the top of it. And they've now instilled it that's into their belief system. And, and that's how you change cultures. Yes. You change a culture by changing their belief system. Yes. And our belief system for the longest period of time was suck it up because you know what, you're different and you'll be able to deal with this stuff. Right. And all you do then is just you layer one trauma potentially on top, and then that's uh, cumulative trauma. Right. And on top of that, then you have vicarious trauma because you're experiencing it through the other members. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the dispatchers are dealing with this, the corrections, everybody, nurses, teachers. And, and that's why the, the Resilient Minds Group has decoupled the, the resiliency from any career, any mm -hmm. occupation, any walk of life to the fact that, you know what? We all need to be resilient. That's great. We all need to be better. That's great. And this is one way of doing it. It's amazing. I do want to be mindful of time. Right. And, and I, I know that we're just a little over an hour, but okay. I didn't want to just go right to it. And I can edit this part out. But I, I want to let you know that we're about an hour and 20 minutes. Okay. I want to also let Joe tell a little bit about your employer right now mm. and what they are doing and how much they charge for it. And that's sort of a, <laughs> a lead in for what you know of <laughs> Absolutely. So, so I work for Acadia Healthcare now, and uh, Acadia is the largest behavioral health provider in the world. And uh, you know, they were the ones that we partnered with back in 2015 with the FBI National Academy, uh, the Officer Safety and Wellness that has led to uh, to where I am today, sitting in this chair talking with you guys about stuff that really matters to me. And uh, so they believed they had a, a, a responsibility because they are the largest provider. Um, to take care of our communities. And one way of doing that is taking care of first responders. So they created a, uh, a position within their organization and it's, uh, it's a public safety liaison position. 
and there's two of us now. So Bill Mazur on the East Coast, and I'm, I have everything west of the Mississippi. He has East. I, also, I, I retain Wisconsin and Michigan because that's where I'm from. I now live in Texas. So uh, I know all about y'all and all y'all and y'all. <laughs> and, 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 uh, and the plural of y'all. Yeah, and, and the fact that you don't use H's. No. I don't know what's up with that. No, but Not necessary. Yeah. So, um, but what's cool about my position is that I can live out my, my purpose and my passion of helping first responders, their organizations, and family members navigate the behavioral health world. Uh, because I jokingly say, and, and, and it's not necessarily a joke, is that you don't want to go to Google to search out your behavioral health care. For sure. Uh, because uh, uh, what I say is that I have not found anybody's website out there whether it's a treatment center, a therapist, or someone doing resiliency training that say that they, they suck. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because that's not really in their marketing plan. There right. But there are a lot of people that don't know what they're doing. Yes. And uh, so it's what we, we try to do is uh, make sure that we vet out programs, therapists, so that when somebody needs someone, that they're going to find somebody that's culturally competent with the first responder community. Mm -hmm. And there's so many then within the first responder community that also are veterans or active military. Um, you know, and I've seen statistics right now that it's probably between 20 to 25% of the first responder community are also veterans or, or uh, active military, whether it's guards or not. And uh, so there's a lot of crossover in that community as well. So that's what I do every day. And, and as far as cost, what I do is absolutely free. Um, that they believe that they have a responsibility to do that. And uh, that's the, the nature of the organization, is that they understand that uh, they need to take care of our first responders. And uh, what's neat about that also, and why I truly work for Acadia Healthcare, is that they endorse and send me and encourage me to help teach people resiliency. Which is, which is interesting business plan, because the only way that Acadia makes money is if somebody goes into treatment. Mm -hmm. And what I'm doing is I'm trying to prevent people from having to go into treatment. So they're upstream. Yeah, I, so. I think that's a, a wonderful end of the that's story incredible. here. Isn't that yeah, great? They're trying to put themselves out of business. That's right. That's the way it should be. Absolutely. So. Is there a place for any first responders where that's listening or family that knows someone? Right. Uh, they need what you're doing. Absolutely. How do they get in contact with you? Well, we were fortunate enough to be able to uh, stand up a web page within the Acadia system, mm -hmm. and it's actually helpingfirstresponders.com, and it's helping the number one st responders.com, and it's got all of our information on there. It's also got a bunch of resources on there, some videos. Uh, we've been doing a lot of articles uh, for different organizations. That's all on there, and uh, you can contact us. Our contact numbers are on there, and that's Give us great. a call. Awesome. Joe, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. This has really been a wonderful experience, very and nice. I know it's going to be very helpful when we release it to the people who are listening. So thank right. you once again. We yeah. might um, have you back if you'll be willing to come back and join us again, because there's a lot more we can talk about as the culture evolves. Yeah. No Absolutely. Doubt. And anytime I can get the host to tear up, I'm good. Oh, yeah, that was good, man. That was, that was some Barbara Walters right there, man. So, listeners, we thank you so much for, uh, for being with us. Make sure that you check out channelsofhealth.com for the rest of our episodes, and we will see you in the next one. Thank you for listening to Channels of Health. We're so glad you've joined us today. To find out more about our mission and to connect with Channels of Health, go to www.channelsofhealth.com and you can email us directly at info at channelsofhealth.com. 
We look forward to our next episode with you. Until then, be well.